This episode of Talking With Tech is brought to you by Smartbox, makers of Grid 3 and Grid for iPad, a complete symbol and text AAC solution. And by Twiddle, the safe sensory therapy tool that can reduce stress and stimulate brain function in children with autism and sensory-seeking behaviors. Well, welcome back once again to Talking With Tech. This is Lucas Duber, joined as always by Mr. Chris Begay. How are you, sir? I'm great. Happy to be here. And Rachel Madel, how are you? I'm good. I'm actually in Hawaii right now. So uh, what? just trying to make you guys a little bit jealous. I'm doing a talk tonight for the Autism Society of Hawaii. So Fantastic. Um, What's your talk about? AAC and autism. <laughs> I was hoping that would be your answer. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Well, we're joined also today by Dr. Eric Sanders. How are you? I'm doing great, Lucas. Good to be on with y'all. Dr. Sanders, could you tell us a little bit about, about your background and, and your work in this space too? Yeah, I'll tell you about how I got to this place. You know, I was a, a clinician um, for six years in Miami-Dade County uh, public schools. And one of the, for the past, you know, the last uh, three or so years, I was an AAC specialist. And as I was working as an AAC specialist, I began to think a lot about the kids on my caseload and um, the fact that a lot of my kids were struggling in terms of reading and writing uh, and communication in general. And so uh, as I started coming up with these questions, I decided to go back to graduate school to pursue my PhD. And I ended up working at the Center for Literacy and Disability Studies at the University of North Carolina. And at the University of North Carolina, at the center, I learned a ton about the relationship between language and literacy, in particular for kids with significant disabilities. And so over the last couple of years, I've been at Pacific University in Oregon. I'm moving to Moravian College in Pennsylvania, and uh, I've been doing some research on both language and literacy for kids who use AAC. What is different about, I guess, the experience of an AAC user that makes uh, their literacy skills, you know, differently impacted early sure. on? Yeah, there, there was, uh, there's a robust research literature about, um, about that very topic, right? And so what we know is that the experiences that young children who use AAC uh, have in terms of those early emergent literacy skills are often dif different than those children who are typically developing. So for example, um, you know, there was some research done in the 90s that showed that a lot of times AAC devices weren't present when early shared reading experiences were happening between a parent and a child who used AAC. You know, if you just think about the complex needs of a child who uses AAC, it is possible that they're not exposed as much to those early experiences that we know are so important to foster later conventional literacy. It also could be that the words that are programmed into a device don't allow for things like commenting if they do have a device present. Just talking about using that context to do things like modeling to expand on language, all of those things that usually happen during those early emergent literacy experiences with kids who can speak, you know, a lot of times we don't see those in shared reading experiences with kids who use AAC. Additionally, if we think about writing, um, kids who use AAC might not have the same experience in terms of emergent writing as well. And we know that all of that together is really, really important to uh, help lay that foundation for both language and literacy, um, uh, and especially for the development of conventional literacy later on, when we begin to, to read and write more conventionally. So am I hearing you correctly and say one big takeaway is just have the device present? 
That's a big takeaway. That yeah. is that is a huge takeaway. But you know, imagine like with shared reading, for example, sitting down to read a book. Um, you've got the actual book. You might have to worry about the adapting of the book, especially if a child has a physical impairment as well. So even having that extra thing there can be uh, complicating. You know, it can be a little bit complicated. But yes, yeah, certainly, you know, what we know about emergent literacy and especially shared reading, which is a way that we get at a lot of those emergent literacy skills, is that that context is so important for the development of both those early literacy skills, things like concepts about print, things like uh, even early phonological and phonemic awareness experiences, as well as the development of language, right? And so we think about language for AAC users. I mean, that context is so, could be so valuable for things like uh, beginning to put symbols together, for example. And it seems to me like you'd be, very natural for a parent to to know how to like read a book with a child mm -hmm. but it's very awkward to say how do i read a book with a child and incorporate this extra okay. thing this device right i think something else that you kind of mentioned too is the adapting of a mm -hmm. book right it's not right. just open a book and start reading it um you know there's some some other considerations that we have to take into sure. account and i think that that piece is what parents and teachers sometimes feel overwhelmed by um, oh, you know, they know they know how to just open a book and read it to kids but when we we start you know saying oh but model on the device then it's like the overwhelm sets in and we we know as speech language pathologists who specialize in this that we can just break it down in a really easy way but i think mm -hmm. it's important to uh, teach and show um, not only clinicians but teachers and parents how to do something like that yeah, without a doubt, you know, so there's the, there's the instructional part that we know is super important. So things like making sure that we're modeling and providing that input when we're engaging in those early emergent literacy experiences. But then we actually have the physical part too, that we know for so many of the individuals who we serve, we have to really consider. So things like uh, you know, giving, giving kids some agency over the book, so things like turning the page, for example. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we can do now in terms of using technology uh, to be able to, to read books and maybe provide a, maybe we're using some sort of switch, uh, for example, to turn a page or something of that sort. Those are, those are all things we have to consider. In writing, too, early, you know, early emergent writing experiences also, we've got to make sure that kids have access to the alphabet, for example, and have a way to experiment and to express themselves through writing in much the same way that a typically developing three or four-year-old uh, has. We right. need those early experiences, all of those experiences, uh, the language and literacy experiences are so important for ultimately developing those conventional literacy skills. Yep. As I always encourage folks to keep, make sure the keyboard is available on a device, even if the mm -hmm. child is not an active, you know, they're not communicating by keyboard well, because they, they have a chance to babble with it and to play with it and, uh, and to hit those keys and hear the sounds that result and, you know, get that sort of, you know, phonological knowledge as well. Absolutely. And Lucas, you know, also important with that is as, uh, as an adult or the more knowledgeable other in this case, making sure that we do the things like talking about what it is that the child or the individual generates through using that keyboard, right? These are the things that we do with kids who are typically developing. If you notice, you know, if you've ever like uh, hung out with a three-year-old who's beginning to experiment, you know, and you get this thing, it's oh, 
just different scribbles, right? But yeah. you're talking about what those scribbles are. And so yeah. we want to make sure that we do the very same thing with, uh, with children who have complex communication needs. And sometimes they, those, those children will have a very fun story about what it is exactly that they wrote. And uh, yeah. I, it's indecipherable to me, but apparently it's about a dog and a shoe in outer space. That's right. And, and that is such an important experience um, <laughs> for kids to develop those skills. And I think that it's a really important thing to remember too, you know, when kids are making writing and making up words, you know, we're, we're naturally reacting to that. But I think mm-hmm. sometimes AAC users, we just assume that it's, you know, a mistake That's or, right. you know, and we don't, you know, not right. only do we not facilitate it and, you know, keep it going, but we shut it down a lot yep. of times because That's right. We think, oh, that wasn't on purpose. Um, so it's like something I'm always trying to impress upon the people that I'm working with. Um, it's so important to just teach as natural linguistic environments come up the same we would for, you know, a preschooler. That's right. And so attributing meaning is one of those core principles that we know during those experiences, we want to make sure that we do, right? And so even if something appears random, we're going to attribute meaning to that and build upon what it is that the child does. That's definitely best practice in those early experiences. Well, Talking with Tech is brought to you by Smartbox, makers of AAC solution Grid 3 for Windows and Grid for iPad. Grid is a complete symbol and text AAC system that is designed for individuals of different ages and ability levels. Uh, Grid is a single AAC system that can progress with the user as he or she grows. One thing I like about Grid is it includes SuperCore, a research-based core word vocabulary grid. SuperCore gives users a home grid of core words that's combined with activity-specific vocabulary. Grid also has a simplified editing process, allowing you to do anything from editing a cell to creating a new grid with a few taps or clicks. Grid also provides remote editing and cloud backup. With a Smartbox account, you can auto-sync content between Grid 3 and Grid for iPad. This allows anyone with a Windows computer and a free trial of Grid 3 to edit grid sets from anywhere, and the changes appear instantly in Grid for iPad. Your content is stored in the cloud and backed up, so you won't lose content if you lose your device. So right now, you can try Grid for free. Visit thinksmartbox.com for a free 30- or 60-day trial for either Grid 3 or Grid for iPad. This will allow you to evaluate the features of Grid, including simplified editing, remote syncing, uh, you know, let you decide if Grid is the right solution for you or your client. Um, again, visit thinksmartbox.com for that free trial. We hope you do. I guess from a targeted instruction standpoint, I have an image in my mind now of a parent or a teacher with a child with a storybook there, both with devices, doing modeling and these things. Now, the storybook that they're reading, need this be any different than a book that you would choose for a typically developing child? Like, should we be more strategic? What we know, especially for kids who are at the emergent literacy level, is that we should use high quality books, right? And so we can think about classic storybooks, maybe something like a Where the Wild Things Are, right? Where these books have such rich language. And because of that, there's so much to talk about. Remember, in shared reading, when we're talking about kids who are at the emergent level, we're not talking about the kids reading the book. We're using the book as a vehicle to talk about the language, to teach language, to even expose kids to these different syntactic patterns. We can even uh, maybe play different phonological or phonemic awareness games as we do this. So we want to make sure that we're using 
books that have this really rich content when we do that. So in, if for a teacher, it's, it's not some sort of foreign thing like, mm-hmm. oh, well, we have to use some sort of different thing to teach students with AAC. It's just teach, uh, one, kind of the same words, and two, use the same books that you're already using. That's absolutely right, Chris. And there, there are curricula out there like they, they do things like, you know, target core words. And, and I, mm-hmm. I think there are, there's a, there are places for those things. But I think also one advantage um, of, of what you're describing is that it also gives the child a shared cultural experience with their typically developing peers, right? You know, oh, sure. then they can have that conversation about where the wild things are instead of, you know, the book that's up, 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 because we're learning about the word up for a month or whatever. Right. And remember, too, we're talking about building those emerging skills. What we know for kids when they become conventional readers is that it's super important for them to have background knowledge, world knowledge, knowledge of text structures. Um, And so from that literature, we can begin to develop some of that. Uh, And certainly, you know, the exposure to different text structures, the way a narrative might work, all of that is really important during that time before we begin with conventional literacy. So I'm picturing myself in the car listening to our podcast going, yeah, but you're talking about kids that maybe have CP and their cognition is intact. But what about kids that have cognitive deficits? Should mm-hmm. we be teaching the same way? I know, I know my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's my belief is yes. Uh, and you have to work on language. With emergent literacy, we're talking about a combination of language and literacy, those early skills. With conventional literacy, uh, one of the things that we might talk about later is the importance of making sure that we use a comprehensive program so that we're not just working on one aspect like word identification without thinking about the importance of working on language as well. Uh, And so, yeah, there's no, you know, if you're talking about working with kids who have um, you know, a significant cognitive disability as well. What we're going to want to do is we still want to expose them to this really rich language and these experiences um, with books that we know are so key and so critical. So the answer to your question, in my opinion, Chris, is... Was that <laughs> mine yours? too. Okay. That's exactly uh, mine too, right? Because how do you know that they won't get there, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and this goes back to the presumption of, of competence thing, right? And I saw a wonderful quote, which I, I had never heard this before, from uh, Dana Nieder, which was, presumption of competence means knowing that complicated bodies can hold clever minds. I mean, that's a wonderful way to put it. The other thing that I've learned sort of the hard way over time, and um, I think this is true of typically developing children too, but the need for repetition, I guess, mm-hmm. right? So one of the first classrooms I ever worked in that was, you know, sort of a quote unquote self-contained thing with many users, they would have a monthly book, right? And so pretty much every day that that book or sub themes would be hit. And at the time it was boring me out of my mind as a clinician. Like I did not want to go and do this again. You know, it's Thursday, it's been four days in a row, but oh my gosh, is it necessary? Well, Lucas, let me, let me speak to that for a moment because repetition is important, but it's also just as important, there's a statement that I learned from my doctoral advisor, Karen Erickson, that I think is, is so important. So it's not just repetition, it's repetition with variety, right? And so if you're getting oh, bored, good. Thank you. the kids are getting bored. Uh, and so what you want to make sure, now you can read a storybook and talk about it in all kinds of different ways. You can do this when we're talking about school-age kids too, working on conventional literacy. What you want to make sure that you do, for example, if you're working on reading comprehension with older kids, you read, you set a purpose for the reading, right? And you can use the same book, but have multiple purposes for reading that book. And so in that way, you do have the repetition of the content, you have the repetition of the text structure, but you're reading for a different purpose. 
And that repetition is important because once we build that knowledge about what might be happening in the book, then we can work on all kinds of different things too. Uh, but we want to make sure that it's not boring, that we're not doing the same thing over and over and over again. Does that mean like on Monday, you read the book and when you're reading it with a student, you are looking at all the pictures that are big. That one's big and that one's mm -hmm. small and that one's big and that one's small. And then on Tuesday, we're going to look at all the words that are verbs. Let's highlight all the verbs in this mm -hmm. passage. Is that sort of the, the variation that you're talking about? Yeah, it is, Chris. And, and that's, I also want to make clear that what we're talking about here is different than shared reading, right? Because shared reading is more of that interaction that's going on back and forth uh, between a more knowledgeable other and the child. Uh, and it's a little bit more, shared reading can be a little bit more freeform because you're just sort of following the child's lead. Maybe you're asking questions, making comments, and sort of building on what the child does. In terms of more conventional literacy, when we're working on reading comprehension, what we would want to do is to set a different purpose for the child as they read through the book um, each time that they uh, read the book, right? And so the purposes that you were talking about there are good examples because with those purposes, uh, what you are doing is you actually have to read through the whole book to do that. A lot of times when people set purposes, for example, read until you can tell me who the main character is. Then you can do that maybe in the first two pages, and then you have nothing to read for later on in the book, right? And so your examples are good ones, but there's a variety of different purposes that we could use using the same text. Eric, I wanted to kind of shift back. You've been talking a lot about conventional literacy, which mm -hmm. I'm really interested in. I've actually never heard that term before, sure. so I'm excited. Um, and I'm thinking about, you know, all of those school-based SLPs who are working with IEPs and, you know, academic goals. I've seen a lot of IEP goals, you know, for expressive uh, reading or reading fluency. It'll say something like, read by reading the text and then just matching the words on their device. Um, and I just wanted to talk with you a little bit about that and what your yeah. thoughts are as far as reading fluency for kids with AAC. Sure. That's, that's complicated, definitely. And so what we want to make sure that we're doing when we're addressing fluency is that we're providing opportunity for one thing is for the child to read easy texts right? So that they're able to concentrate a little bit more on what the prosody is going to sound like, as opposed to reading a text that's too difficult, where they're spending most of their cognitive resources trying to decode the words. The other thing, too, is to have lots of examples, right? And so this is for kids who are typically developing as well. You know, some of the, the different techniques are things like listening, right, along as you are reading silently. So this is something we certainly could do with kids who use AAC, where perhaps it's happening live, or there's a recorded version where they can listen along. I mean, there's a variety of ways that we could address uh, reading fluency. I mean, Rachel, this is a very, it's a very good question and one that's not very well researched at this time. Yeah. Uh, also, so if you look, for example, at the factors that we know are important for being able to understand a text that you read with comprehension. We know that the word identification part is really important. We know that the language comprehension part is really important. But we also know that being able to use an inner voice as you do that with correct prosody is also very key. I'm not sure in terms of the IEP goal that you were talking about before that matching a communication symbol to a word that, that to me doesn't 
address that. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, and that's why I was curious to hear your take mm-hmm. on it because to me, it's just, that doesn't seem functional. Um, you know, I'm more geared towards a shared reading experience that builds mm-hmm. language um, and, or, you know, starting to tackle some of that reading comprehension yep. um, versus, you know, reading fluency. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it doesn't seem, doesn't seem quite as functional as other literacy activities that we could be doing. Something that I see a lot of IEPs, which is a goal for which it is easy to collect data, but maybe has no real instructional value. Right. And that's I tough. couldn't agree more. I just had a meeting, an IEP meeting, and I and I was talking to the mom beforehand, and I'm like, listen, like I see this goal, but I don't see a value in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I really don't. And I just feel like, you know, we have such precious time. Time is, you know, not on our side because we have so much to teach. So, you know, I'm just a really big believer in teaching things that are, you know, functional and children are engaged in. Yeah. I feel like like this this specific child that I'm talking about, she goes on autopilot and yeah, she can match words in a story, but she's not, you know, she's not actually reading the story. She's right. just matching the pictures. Not that particular one that you were describing, but Reading fluency is critical and it's key. Now, we can't measure it the same way. You know, the way that we measure it with kids who are typically developing is by actually listening to them read. Right. Um, And we can't do that with kids who can't speak, obviously. So we have to think about these different kinds of proxy ways that we can do that and emphasize that prosody and also emphasize uh, inner voice is really important. So talking a lot about inner voice you know, the fact that we have, as we read, that little voice inside of our head that's reading along with us with prosody that helps us remember what we read. It helps us parse syntactically what's happening in the book as we're reading. Uh, so it is, it is critical to be able to understand, uh, to read a text silently, which is our ultimate goal. And understand what you read, not just to read it, but to understand. So working on that last part half the time. Mm-hmm. And and I just had one more question. So, you know, how and how would you go about teaching something like that? Besides, you know, obviously talking about it. Are mm-hmm. there any other activities or, you know, ways to structure activities that can help support that? You know, some of the things that we can do again are to provide lots of models. Kids need to hear what the prosody sounds like, what should mm-hmm. sound like. Uh, as you're reading. And so doing a lot of talking about that and providing those models, I think is a good way to begin addressing that in kids who can't speak, right? Who use AAC. Lucas, I hear we have a new sponsor this week. I'm a big fan of toys. I'm a big fan of sensory tools. uh, And I'm a big fan of really creative ideas. So I was at a conference a little while ago and I ran into this company called Twiddle, T-W-I-D-D-L-E. And they make these soft therapeutic aids that assist caregivers, people who specialize in autism or ADHD, developmental disabilities, even memory care and arthritis. They almost look like a hand muff that you, you put your hands into. They have them in the shape of dogs, the shape of cats. That's so fuzzy and adorable. There's one called the the Nathan that has a whole bunch of like its own fidgets on it, like a like a chewy, like a crinkly bag. They're warm. Each one of them has like a like a stress ball uh, at the center of it that you can squeeze. There's a, a storage bag with a zipper. Uh, these things are really neat. I love sensory items, especially for kids with autism. They're a game changer. They sound awesome. They sound like something I want to play with. Yeah, in fact, it's really comfortable. They're really durable and they're machine washable, uh, which is huge. I can't tell you how many times, especially in my clinic, I've had to just throw away stuff. Uh, I highly recommend it, and I can't think of a kid that wouldn't enjoy playing with one of these. So check it out, twiddle.speechnines.org. The 
Other thing I wanted to say generally is that when we're talking about literacy instruction, I want to make sure that I highlight the use of the alphabet. And so as opposed to symbols, um, the importance of and making sure that we use letters when we're actually working on reading. A lot of symbols have very poor transparency, right? If we use a graphic symbol. <laughs> yep. It can also slow you down as you are reading as well if you're having to constantly go up and look at a symbol and think about what that is. And it's, it's hard. Now, the most, you know, the most powerful symbol set that exists is the alphabet. And so we really want to make sure that we're using the alphabet uh, and highlighting, you know, different letters. And we wouldn't really start with conventional literacy, beginning conventional literacy instruction until kids know most of the letters, um, you know, and most of the sounds they make or names of the letters um, to have that background before we begin working on these other aspects of uh, comprehensive literacy. Wait, I want to make sure I understand that. Are you saying one comes before the other or do you do them all together mm -hmm. really understanding that, that um, like, like you think, you, you have like a little two-year-old that doesn't have AAC, mm -hmm. so you don't read them books, you don't yes. wait. No. And go, well, okay, once they learn the alphabet, then I'll read the Nope, book. nope, 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 nope. I want to make clear that no one is to anything, that's a David Yoder quote, to uh, begin working on reading and writing. And so what I'm talking about is just a little bit of a, the differentiation between working on things like phonics skills, which is more of a conventional literacy activity, as opposed to those early emergent literacy experiences. So with a two-year-old, for example, who's typically developing, you're gonna have these beautiful shared reading experiences, and that's a way, you know, with a two-year-old or a three-year-old that you can talk about certain words that are in the book, and you can relate it to the child's life, and you can write, you're focusing on that content. You're not necessarily, you're not focusing on sounding out each of the words, because the kiddo's not there yet. I want to make sure that that is not confused for what is called the readiness perspective, uh, because the readiness perspective has been used to withhold literacy instruction from children who have significant disabilities. And I want to make sure that that's, it's clear that that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we're building a foundation, and the lines aren't exactly clear-cut, right, between where emergent literacy ends and convention beginning conventional literacy begins uh, but we have to make sure that we're providing this this foundation um, and that we are exposing kids to language and literacy um, before we really start drilling down on some of those you know more structured phonics activities for example I don't think I've seen Chris nod as, as hard in a while as I know. He just did My neck hurts. withholding the instruction piece because it's true. That's great. And um, so this is a wonderful point. So, mm -hmm. so I, you know, as we as we sort of transitioning, I'm thinking about the, I guess, the developmental pathway of mm -hmm. a child. You know, we sort of started with this shared reading, the, you know, very, very pre, uh, you know, sort of pre-literate conceptual mm -hmm. um, piece where I've always sort of thought of that as a child interacting with an adult while the inter while the adult interacts with the text, if right. that makes any sense, as opposed to then the next stage where the child is then the one directly interacting with the text, maybe ind independently. There's a hump here that I've I've gotten to before where I have students that are really are, are almost at that point of literacy, but are not like quite there with keyboarding or with like completely independent consumption orthographically, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a moment where this just sort of clicks? 
Well, I think one of the first things is saying we got to be careful, which is what I just caught myself doing, right? And saying not ready because we're always going to be working with books. We're always going to be working with literacy. You know, my mentor, Karen Erickson, says in a a chapter that she wrote uh, with Dave Copenhaver and uh, Jim Cunningham is that when we work on that comprehensive literacy instruction, that's a bit more conventional as opposed to more focusing on emergent literacy instruction. We want to make sure that kids can identify most of the letters of the alphabet most of the time, so, right, which we were talking about before, that they're interested in shared reading, okay, so that you have, you've been having these experiences with shared reading where kids are enjoying that, that they, no matter what, Chris, we were talking about this before, have a communication device available to them and that they can use that communication device in working with books and working with literacy as well. And, you know, another aspect of emergent literacy, understanding that print has meaning, which is related to what we call concepts about print. And so when kids have all of that, because you've been setting this foundation, and we're not thinking about it like, it's not purely hierarchically, but when we can do this kind of stuff, we're like, okay, let's work on some more of what we would call a comprehensive literacy, where we're going to work more on some of these conventional skills, right? And in that case, what we're doing there is we're going to begin working with word work, right? So phonics activities. We're going to begin uh, guided reading as opposed to shared reading. Remember, shared reading at the emergent level, there's more back and forth that's going on. Guided reading, when you walk into a first grade classroom or a second grade class classroom, kids are listening to the book more and more, right? So there's less of this interaction, but remember we talked about those purposes before. They're, being, they're reading for those specific purposes. Uh, kids also, another thing too, as we move into this, something that we know is so important, is ha- letting them have the opportunity to select books that they want to read right? And so giving them the agency to make sure that they do that. Uh, so self-directed reading. And the other thing too that we often forget about, uh, especially with kids who have significant disabilities, that is so important. And we spoke about it at the emergent level before, but at the conventional level is also super duper important, is to make sure that we work on writing. I think there's a subtle message that maybe I just wanted to be explicit about. Again, reading, the experiences should be like enjoyable for the kids. Whoa, and I yes. think that's- sometimes missed. Um, But then second of all is you keep using the pronoun we, and I'm curious what everyone's thoughts are on who is we, who is actually doing this. I think a lot of speech therapists who might listen Mm -hmm. to this podcast, oh, well, I don't teach reading. And then there's there's the teacher who who maybe is not listening to this podcast that like, well, I teach reading, but I don't teach it the way he's talking about, or do I, should I like, so I just wonder how do we do it? Chris, that's a wonderful question. So I know that programs, a lot of graduate programs, for example, might have uh, an emphasis on literacy as well as oral language. Uh, I don't know that that's the case everywhere, but I would imagine that as time keeps going by, we know that there's more and more of an emphasis on written language uh, that SLPs are being exposed to, that's becoming what we know is part of their roles and responsibilities, and uh, ultimately will become part, I think, more of the fabric of what SLPs do in public schools, certainly in private practices. So that was my little soapbox about SLPs and literacy. Uh, When I'm saying we, I'm talking about the team. And so I'm talking, especially for kids who we serve, uh, I'd be talking about the SLP, also an OT, if there's an OT available to to talk about some of these issues, especially access, OT or PT. Uh, We could be talking about 
certainly, you know, the, the teacher, hopefully a general education teacher, a special educator. You see the, the family at home at night too, oh, right? I mean, this is... Obviously, that's, I mean, perhaps the most critical part of the team is the family at home. Do you think the speech therapist and the occupational therapist, the related service, might act as a coach or a guide to mm-hmm. the, those other people who might have more physical minutes with the student? One of the things, even in terms of, you think about IEP goals, for example, right? What I think you would want to do with an IEP goal is have a goal that can be, um, that can be judged and worked on by many members of the team, not just the SLP, right? And so, for example, if you're thinking about data collection, it could be that instead of thinking about things in terms of percentages, you look at frequency. Um, and so, like, opportunity to be able to use a certain communicative function with an AAC device or something of that sort. And so part of that, I think, like if we think about things that way, what it does is it makes sure that everybody is on the same page in terms of what's going to be targeted. And then also that everyone has some sort of responsibility for that when working with the kiddo. In terms of the coaching, yeah. You know, one of the things is, is that what we know about all kids in general, and especially kids who use AAC, is that it's never a one-size-fits-all deal, right? And so that's the way it is in literacy intervention, literacy assessment as well. And so we want to make sure that we have different interventions that are pinpointed towards different areas that our client you know, needs to work on. When I say that, even if they have a strength, for example, in word study, we're still going to work on word study right? Because that's an important part of a comprehensive literacy approach. But it could be that if the child is struggling with different aspects of language comprehension, perhaps there's someone on the team that, you know, you've worked that person to work on different kinds of activities that target this. And then maybe that person can work with other people in the classroom who also have that specific need as well. So that's one way Karen has suggested before uh, in, in the chapter I was referencing, you can have a different role for different members of the team that way as well to try to divvy it up. Yeah, I think another aspect too is that um, many of the much of the research I think that comes out, and I could be wrong here, is in speech therapy or AAC mm-hmm. circles. And the general ed teacher and the special ed teacher aren't reading that research. They don't even have access to it. They're you know, if it's behind a paywall, they're not seeing it. And so you have the the speech therapist kind of has to take that lead role of well, what's the research saying, mm-hmm. and and then convey that over to the general ed or the special ed teachers. Yeah. Else. You know, as an SLP in general, not even with this particular topic, but if we think more broadly in terms of AAC in general, more broadly in terms of, let's say, language therapy, you know, you've got to seek out a lot of those opportunities through professional development, through listening to, uh, through podcasts like this, right, <laughs> where you seek out that information um, in order to be able to use it with your clients, going to different conferences, going to ASHA. Um, all of those things are important ways to keep learning. Do we have uh, any sort of uh, final thoughts? Which, what's the final takeaway? No matter what, you want to make sure that you are addressing literacy in a comprehensive fashion so that it is not focusing on one aspect. A lot of times when people think about reading, they think about decoding words. And we need to work on phonics. We need to use a phonics approach. But that can't be it. We have to make sure that even at that conventional level, that we're working on things like knowledge of text structures, we're working on things like language comprehension, we're addressing what Rachel brought up before in terms of fluency, even things like inner speech, working on that. We need to make sure that we provide a comprehensive approach. So it's, it's not just literacy, but it's also language, right? Because oftentimes what happens is 
you know, there might be a particular reading program that's used in the school. It's a one size fits all kind of deal, but we're not really targeting diff- these different areas that we know are critical for success and literacy for our kids. And so making sure that we're comprehensive, making sure that we identify areas of need, but even if we do that, making sure that we're addressing all of these different things that we know are important for a comprehensive literacy approach as well. And I think kind of going off of that, um, one thing that I've learned in my practice is that we can't be afraid to try new things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and for example, I was working with a kid a few weeks ago and uh, we were reading uh, Go Dog Go. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, this child has a comprehension of the word go. Um, so instead of having him say go on the device with the icon, I brought the keyboard up because we do, I kind of do like a preparatory set. And it's like, okay, I'll start reading and then I'll pause and I'll wait. And he says go. Um, so I just brought the keyboard up and I was like, you know what, we're going to type the word go. It's an mm. easy word to start with. It's two letters. Um, and he did amazing. And, you know, after that, mom was like, he was on the keyboard all night long. Oh, he kept awesome. hitting go, go, go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it's important to kind of keep, keep challenging children, keep believing that, you know, it's possible and remembering the importance of, you know, our end goal, which is literacy and, you know, especially being able to write and, and those keyboarding skills. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What a positive message. And, and you hit on something we didn't even talk about. What was the, you know, this idea of uh, incorporating print into play, you know, mm-hmm. uh, another way to, to make this fun. Absolutely. Well, we would love to hear your questions. Listeners, please feel free to drop us a line. You can always visit tech.speechscience.org for all of the show notes and links, as well as uh, more on uh, Dr. Sanders, who was kind enough to join us today. Please do find us on Facebook, uh, the Talking With Tech group. I think we have something like 2,600 people in there now, which is awesome. And we love to answer questions. Um, you, can, you can send us a message, but we also love it if they're posted publicly in the group so that everyone else can, can see the answers as well and maybe chime in. Um, and then please, if you haven't already, do visit iTunes. Uh, uh, give us a review, uh, subscribe if you haven't. Um, what that does is it, uh, it, it helps people to find us, which is really the, the whole point. But once again, this is Lucas Duber for Talking With Tech, for, for Chris Begay, for Rachel Madel, and for Dr. Eric Sanders. Thank you so much for joining us. We will talk to you all next week. 